Action series of podcasts is proudly supported by Arc Maths. That's Arc with a C. Now, over the course of these nine episodes, you'll be hearing about cutting edge research and its application to the classroom. And that is exactly what Arc Maths is all about. The ArcMaths app makes use of research into retrieval, testing, spacing and interleaving to design a personalised practice programme for each of your students that stops them forgetting the things they once knew. It strengthens their recall of core math skills and knowledge and keeps students systematically practising previous topics so you can teach new ones. There's no teaching element to it, it's just designed to support your teaching through regular recapping. On top of this, there is a brilliant handwriting recognition tool that can even cope with my dodgy scribbles and you can annotate the pictures and write on the working out screen. Unsurprisingly, the app has been shortlisted for Educational App of the Year at the 2021 BET Awards. Teachers can have a go with the ArcMaths app for free if they get in contact and mention the Mr. Barton Maths podcast. It's currently available for iPads, but phone and other tablet versions will be available from September. So just drop them an email at hello at arceducation.co.uk or contact them via the website. And there's links to both of those things in the show notes. And remember, that's Arc with a C, not a K. So, welcome to season two of my Research in Action mini-series, where I interview researchers from Loughborough University's Centre for Mathematical Cognition about their chosen areas of interest and the implications for teachers in the classroom. And I try my very best not to come across completely out of my depth. Now, the audio files among you may well have noticed something slightly weird is going on with my voice. Uh, basically, over the last three or four days, I've lost my voice. I've picked it up from Isaac. Uh, my wife's been very happy about that. I've not been able to, to, to talk. Uh, but it's kind of on its way back now. And I was hoping I'd be sounding a bit kind of like Barry White uh, in, this, in this introduction. But I'm more like kind of a... Kermit the Frog after he's gone through puberty or something like that. It's, it's not quite the sound I'm, I'm looking for, but you'd be pleased to know I recorded uh, the actual conversation itself um, a while ago now, so I'll be sounding a little bit better uh, there. Anyway, episode four features uh, Christoph Kipora. Now, Christoph obtained his diploma and PhD in psychology at Krakow in Poland. Afterwards, he spent four years as a postdoc researcher at the Department of Psychology and the University of Tübingen in Germany. And Christoph joined the Center for Mathematical Cognition as a lecturer in April 2020. Now, my conversation with Christoph in season one of Research in Action was one of my favorites from that series, where we discussed things like how people visualize relatively small and large numbers differently, and the magnitude of numbers in general. And in that conversation, Christoph also told me about chickens that could count. And I'll tell you what, it was one of the most bizarre and impressive things I'd ever heard. So when Colin Foster told me Christoph wanted to return to the show to tell me more about research into maths in the animal kingdom, I jumped to the chance. And I'll tell you what, I was not disappointed. As I'll reflect upon in the takeaway at the end of this show, this could well be a conversation to share with your students. It could provide a very different answer to that eternal question, when will I ever use maths in real life? So without further ado, and before my voice gets even more weird, let's get cracking. I enjoy this one, I know you will. And as ever, I'll see you on the other side. 
So it gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the show a returning guest from Research in Action Series 1. So Christoph, uh, welcome back. Uh, hi, great to be back. Yeah, very good to have you. Uh, one of my favourite episodes from the last series. So for, for the benefit of listeners who perhaps um, haven't tuned into that one for a while, can you just remind us um, who you are and just give us a brief overview of your career, if that's okay? Um, so my name is Christoph. I'm a lecturer in mathematical cognition at Center for Mathematical Cognition, Loughborough University. Uh, originally, I come from Poland, where I did my uh, PhD in beautiful old city of Krakow. Uh, then I did my postdoc in uh, equally beautiful old town of Tübingen in Germany. And after uh, four years there, I got a position as a lecturer here in Loughborough. Uh, and yeah, here I am starting my position a year ago in the middle of like a global pandemic <laughs> uncertainty and stuff. But things are getting normal. That's right, because I remember last time we spoke, you hadn't really, you hadn't really met many of your colleagues, had you? From what I remember, because everything had just been kind of closed down. You arrived in lockdown. Have you, have you managed to meet everybody now? Uh, well, like since then, it didn't change much because in the meantime we had like another big lockdown. So, yeah. uh, so like nothing much happened on the campus. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of in contact with my colleagues uh, online, so it's. Yeah. I think I'm not not in the worst situation than anyone else these days. So that's, yeah, right. that's right. Fantastic. Now, last time you were on, we were speaking all about numbers and space and, and visualizing things, things that were just blowing my mind. So I was really pleased whenever I got the schedule from Colin to, to, to say that you were coming back on the show. So what, what are we going to be talking about today, Christoph? Yeah, well, actually, I proposed uh, to, to Colin that uh, we can discuss a bit about uh, like how different uh, species of animals use numbers, how they count and so on. I thought it can be oh. kind of interesting to the listeners. Oh, that is perfect. That is music to my ears. Perfect. Right. Go for it, Christoph. Which animal are we starting with here? Yeah, well, I don't know whether we want to start with something like uh, insects or fish or uh, amphibial or mammals. You you pick because the whole notion, as I said to you last time, whenever we were talking about chickens, I can't imagine how how animals count or how we measure it or how they perceive number and quantity. So you you start wherever you think is most appropriate, Christoph, and we'll take. Yeah, it from well, there. maybe we can start with like experiment about ants uh, okay. because <laughs> this one is like on one hand. Uh, some people consider it maybe a little bit cruel. For some people, it's uh, like very nice example of how you can actually introduce experimental manipulation to, to test some predictions. Because like we know that ants are relatively simple animals, like their nervous system is not super complicated and so on. But on the other hand, uh, the scientists were really puzzled on how they managed to navigate, how they managed to find their way back home. And uh, there were several ideas, especially like when they stopped like walking back on the way and start really searching for the entrance to the nest. And there were several ideas on how they do it, whether they kind of uh, consider their tiredness, so to say, or like something like this, but this was not very likely explanation because when they go to get something, to find something to eat, uh, then they need to like carry it or pull it, which is like very heavy. So it's not a likely explanation that you are equally tired or based on like your tiredness, you know, more or less that you are roughly close to your home. 
There were also some ideas that it's maybe about like uh, death reckoning, so kind of uh, whatever estimating like how you how you walked and trying to uh, to navigate back. Uh, and there was an idea that it can be that they are counting their steps, so they are using kind of mental internal odometer to uh, <laughs> to operate. Uh, and this, like, of course, is kind of interesting idea or prediction. But on the but you need to you need to really uh, find a solution on how to measure it. Yes. And this was, in my view, uh, like ingenious. Uh, a solution that the researchers made, and this paper was published in uh, in Nature or Science, so probably the like the scientific community also also appreciated the, uh, the 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 idea and the method. So the so the solution was relatively simple. Like if you count steps in order to find your back home, then if we alter the length of the step, then. Uh, you would change the distance. If you know that you need to make the, whatever, 50 steps back, yes. and for instance, I would extend your legs with uh, with stilts, you would walk further. And yes. if, uh, and this is the cruel part, if we uh, like kind of shorten your legs, oh, no. <laughs> then you would uh, not be able to like go back. Yes. Like, seems that, or like you would, you would like make after making 20 steps you would not make such a long distance so yes. so this is essentially what the researchers did so when the ants came from their nest to the place where they found some something to eat some of them had their legs extended they were using the the, the hair of the pig i have no idea how they really wow. managed to like attach it to the to the each of the of the legs of the ant and these ants with their legs extended were actually walking like further and they were missing the nest and walking further. Wow. And the other group of ants was actually had their legs like cut a little bit and they were uh, they were kind of uh, uh, starting for the search of the nest earlier. Yes. And there was kind of mathematical model which kind of estimated on where this behavior should occur if yeah. this is related to the uh, to the shortened uh, step, and it worked. But of course, there was uh, also kind of accusation that yeah, probably that like maybe it's not like the uh, sufficient enough solution or sufficient enough answer. So the uh, researchers did another experiment where they actually manipulated the length of the of the legs of the ants before they set off from the nest. Right. Okay. And then. Uh, if this manipulation happened before, then like you would need to take the same number of steps on the way yes. there and back. And in that situation, the ants didn't have problems of uh, like wow. finding their place. So seems that they were actually re using like the kind of numerical information in a sense of really counting the steps, not using uh, not using other other mechanism, which is. <laughs> That I think is unbelievable. Yeah, it's that it's it's crazy. really amazing. And mm, yeah, I, I also find this particular study very uh, very impressive in a sense of like uh, the, the like the idea of, of 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 quantifying and measuring it and putting it uh, it together. That I mean that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's one it's one thing having this hypothesis that ants can count and it's a whole new it's a whole different 
ball game trying to figure out how you're going to design that experiment. That is incredible. So is, is, this is pretty accepted now, is it, that ants can 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 count steps? Yeah, it, it, seems, it seems a pretty seems pretty so. solid. I, I don't I don't know any like commentaries or papers that challenge this view, and and we have kind of accumulating uh, amount of evidence that that uh, like different species of animals are using numbers. Of course, like pure mathematician wouldn't uh, hmm. would 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 like thrown up on this that these are probably not like numbers because it's like not abstract and so on. But this like quantity or this information that we as humans developed into like mathematics, this is really useful, right? You have several situations in the environment when using numerical information about whatever, everything, basically, uh, helps you survive, helps you, like, pass your genes, helps you, yes. like, reach the reach the food, reach the uh, reach the, the goals, kind of, you, you, you might have in order to survive. And one of such situations when it's, like, really, uh, let's say, important to consider numbers is to see, like, very primitive situation, let's say, that uh, you have like one group of individuals and this group is somehow challenged by, by, the, other, by the other group who wants to take over their resources. Yeah. And then what kind of information you might find useful uh, to, to decide on how to behave, whether we should confront them or we, whether we should step back. Yeah, it's yeah, probably like counting forces. How many of us... Yes. How many of them do we have chances? And this is actually what lionesses do in <laughs> right. Serengeti. It's, it's, it's one of my, uh, apart from the ant study, which is super clever, this study is really kind of Indiana Jones experiment <laughs> in, uh, in uh, like into the wild. It happened in uh, like early 90s. So right. they didn't have like MP3 players, but they had like a huge cassette player. Right. like magnetic tape, and they went to Serengeti Park, uh, and they were really testing the like herds of lionesses living there in the wild. So these were not animals that were anyhow trained or so. These were animals living in the wild. And the researchers were literally bringing this cassette player at night, and they were playing roars with the uh, recorded roars <laughs> of, of other lionesses from the cassette player. Right, and then they were checking of what the group of lionesses, lioness, uh, how it behaves depending on the, on first of all the number of roars they of different lioness they played, and also on the uh, like number of of uh, like animals in the group. So, yes. for instance, if they played like three roars and the group constituted four lioness then they were more likely to confront. But yes. if the group was only two, they were rather likely to uh, to retreat, to step back, to, to leave the territory. <laughs> Which is amazing in the, in the sense that uh, when I presented it to my, uh, to my students back in Germany, uh, it came up to me to find a nice parallel where you have a passage in the Bible with description that like the king, when uh, when he knows that another king is like setting off to like fight against him with ten thousand soldiers, the thing the king needs to do 
is to actually consider like that if the opponent has 10,000 soldiers and I have only 5,000 soldiers, what shall I do? And basically, this is what the study shows that the lioness do, that they kind of consider, okay, we have so many potential competitors and our group is like this, and what shall we do? Jeez. Christoph, you've blown my mind again. We're only 10 minutes in here. So let, let, let me ask you a couple of questions about this. I'm going to start, but well, just a general question. So did this suggests that, because obviously the, these ants, well, I don't know, maybe they have, they haven't been taught to count, have they? Like, does this suggest that this, this is some innate ability that, that living species have, this ability to count? Obviously, we assume they don't have any kind of formal number system or anything, but are we speculating that, that this is just, innate to essentially being alive if you've got a certain amount of brain function you 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 can count yeah this is this is like how uh how you can explain this because as i as i mentioned already these lioness were not trained anyhow these are Mm. animals that just live in the wild and also the experiment they were put into was kind of meant to resemble the situation that can occur to them in the real life that like uh i'm not an expert in animal behavior but to my understanding it's quite 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 a thing that happens that the different groups are just competing about the territory they occupy and there are also these kind of like wars and fights for the territory yes. so uh, so this is uh, yeah it seems that this is kind of useful information that uh, uh, that happens in uh, that, that 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 is just used by multiple species uh, and another example which i really uh, Love is the, uh, let's say, mating behavior that was uh, described in uh, Great Tree Frogs. <laughs> right, okay, good. <laughs> which is like, to me, actually astonishing um, on both sides, like both of how the, the, the females behave and how the males behave in this situation. And the, the amazing part of this uh, research is that uh, like scientists who investigate the frogs were actually managed to like find a specific neurons, specific like brain cells, mm. which are responsible for this behavior, for this like counting behavior. <laughs> right. So let's set the scene for this uh, for this uh, situation. So like in several other animal species, you have this kind of competitions that uh, of like males who, who want to kind of attract the female. And in uh, in a case of great tree frogs, what they do is to to produce some really loud vocalizations with their like vocal apparatus. Right. And then, kind of think that the the more uh, vocalization a male is producing, it's kind of like whatever showing how uh, let's say attractive partner uh, uh, he is. Right. Okay. So there is like a mechanism in uh, like females, female frogs, which is kind of like quote unquote counting the vocalization. It's they're like what they use is a model of like accumulator, which is kind of like using the uh, counting the events, so to say, of the yes. like vocalization to have like the sum. So very very simple like uh, model that you whatever like uh, even like put like a people from one side to the other this could whatever somehow uh, somehow elaborate on this on this metaphor of what this mechanism does so we have females on one side which are kind of capable of, of counting vocalization which is uh, 
yeah, kind of reasonable thing if this is if this behavior is kind of like a indicative of the let's say attractiveness of the partner of quality of genes or or however we want to call it. But to me, even more astonishing and funny at the same thing is what the what the males do. Right. Okay. So the male is actually not the not acting uh, kind of blindly there, not like producing as much vocalizations as he can after he is like exhausted and uh, like doesn't have energy towards like any other uh, uh, action uh, he he could take. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and it also tells like kind of how, what, what do you need to do to be successful in such situation? You could think of two strategies. One strategy is that you are kind of the absolute best, which is maybe simpler. Like you don't need like much, whatever mental processes there. You just produce as much as vocalization as you can and, and hope to be the best. Yeah. But the other uh, solution, which is maybe a bit more strategic, is that, okay, you don't need to be like the absolute best. You just need to be the best in your area, right? right. Okay. So uh, what actually these uh, males of great tree frogs do is that they monitor the situation around how many vocalizations that their competitors produced and what they do. They just produce one more. <laughs> and this like competition goes on, but uh, but the, the 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 issue is that basically it's kind of optimizing the resources. You don't need to be the absolute best. It's just good to be the the best among your competitors yes. in the area. And this is this is apparently what the frogs do and and the researchers who are investigating these uh, these animals have actually indicated even the like neurons which are responsible for this let's say accumulator counting uh, behaviors. So flipping right? Okay, so <laughs> where to begin with the questions here, Christoph? So first is, it seems to me that like I'm, I'm impre- obviously I'm impressed by all these animals, but like. The lions, I can kind of see, are, are they essentially kind of comparing to, well, the lions and the frogs, I guess, are they kind of doing kind of greater thans and less thans? Whereas it seems to me the ants, are they actually, like the ants are actually counting out numbers, right? Like with the lions, all right, if it's greater than the number I've got, I'm going to I'm gonna run away. If we've got more than them, I'm going to stay. Is it, which is impressive, which I, I didn't think, I mean, I didn't think animals could do. But it seems to me the ants, they, they've, they've taken this one stage further. Are you, are you telling me these ants, like they are literally counting out kind of 50 steps away, hunting for some food and then counting 50, 50 back? Is, is that how far we're going here, Christoph? Uh, well, like we could, we could describe this probably the way you told, but like uh, I wouldn't say that the, that the ant is like <laughs> anyhow, like, conscious and so and like counts it as you would count like steps when you when you go for a walk or when you like, go up like uh, climb the staircase but it seems that there is kind of like a uh maybe even relatively easy to model neural mechanism which is kind of like accumulating each event of making a step ah. and then it reaches a certain threshold 
right? And then and then kind of on the way back, it wants to reach this threshold, kind of which was yes. whatever memorized or kind of noted uh, uh, to reach it again. And this this would be indicative of like coming back home. Let's say. I see. And how far? Like, do we have a sense how far these ants can go? Like, uh, sh- surely it couldn't be like walking. It's not walking a kilometer or something, is it? I mean, uh, remembering walking, walking. But how far are we talking here? Uh, if I remember correctly, it's something around, uh, around. In what, 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 what they were doing in the experiment is like maybe thirty meters, if I remember oh, wow. correctly. Uh, that's still, that's a decent distance, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's around? a decent distance. Also, if you consider the length of the step that the ant is. Like making yes. it's also quite quite some of them. I don't remember really the the, the, the exact numbers here, but uh, but it's like a considerable distance. These are ants which are like larger than the regular ones living here. I think these are like ones which live in the desert uh, in like northern Africa, if I if I remember that correctly. Uh, so they are they are bigger. So maybe it's also kind of more easy to, to attach the stilts there than to like the ant that we see in our gardens. But but the distances are like, yeah, I would say like considerable given given yes. their size. Uh, and are we getting the sense again, just going back to this notion that this may be an innate property, like could could young ants and young lionesses and, and young frogs do the same? It's it's not like they get to a certain age and they they've they've not been taught this. Are they are they born with this ability? Uh, yeah, well, this is a very good question. I don't know whether these, uh, like, uh, whether there were studies with kind of like a younger animals and so on, but, uh, but even if we don't find it in younger ones, I wouldn't say that it's, uh, it's sort of, uh, like dependent on, on learning and, and we have really limited evidence for kind of social learning in animals that like older ones yes. teach the smaller ones. There are some uh, some studies showing this, uh, like learning can happen, but it's it happens re- relatively relatively rarely. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say so. And also the point is that uh, like comparing the, 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 the little ones, the cubs or the, the, the small frogs uh, with like old ones, it doesn't necessarily need to imply that if the younger one are not uh, capable of doing that, that it's not innate because yes. like in humans also, uh, whatever, like walking uh, is kind of, uh, yeah, it occurs naturally. You don't need to train, but if you like test the newborn, you wouldn't, you would say that it's yes. not capable of walking or in case of birds, they, they, for instance, start building nests from certain age, even though there is like no nest building school or, or anything like that. So I see. Whew. And just before we go on to another animal, just back to these frogs, like you say, this this these male frogs, that's a smart move, isn't it? So let me just see if I've got this right. They're, they're not going all out trying to attract the females. They're just trying to do that little bit more than the next best in the group. Yeah. Just so they're saving that little bit of energy just in case. That's smart, isn't it? That Yeah, that that's shown that they're counting. They know the difference between something and a little bit more. Being a bit strategic about it, that's that's good. I like that. Yeah, this is this is one of my most favorite examples, actually. 
is good. But um, but yeah, there are like there are really lots of examples of like animals kind of using this this information, and we can also uh, uh, think of uh, understanding even more, let's say, problematic numbers in animals. Uh, that is the notion of zero, which is. Mm. Uh, which was like really big discussion when there were some some researchers and scientists showing that uh, that some animals get this notion of zero because like yeah in history of mathematics ancient romans were not capable of like like building or understanding zero as a like denoting empty set or so mm. and and there was kind of huge and revolutionary moment in, in history of mathematics, at least my reading and understanding that that people started considered uh, like nothing to be on the same continuum with something. That considering yes. zero as like smaller than one, uh, but of course it seems that this like having the notion of of zero is somehow useful. Like uh, you uh, probably find it. Uh, kind of reasonably useful skill to be able to distinguish some chocolate from no chocolate at all, right? Mm. And this is kind of uh, a thing that that might be kind of also useful for some animals to whatever distinguish between some some food and no food or yes. like some whatever uh, shelter versus no shelter. So there were some ideas that maybe it's like you can really train the animal to understand zero and to make some like notion of zero. And uh, first studies that were conducted with uh, like chimpanzees by a group of uh, Professor Matsuzawa from uh, Japan, it showed that like these these chimps were really amazing that they were really able to train them uh, to like name the number or like to order numbers from zero to nine. Right. When they were displayed, just like symbolic Arabic numbers that you that you, all uh, oh, right, okay. Uh, so they were able to do it, and they were really skillful in in doing that. Um, there are several YouTube videos of of the of the chimp doing the task, and at some point they were also, uh, and they trained them in like both understanding ordinality and cardinality of numbers. Uh, so like the the the, the uh, chimp could like press the numbers in ascending order also if there were some numbers missing. So if, wow. if, if you could see like four, five, seven, eight, nine, it could do the task even if the number six was not there. So yes. like seems that they had like quite good notion of like numbers. And also this uh, like mm, seems that they could understand like links between, uh, so not only understanding symbols, but they could also had they also had a notion of like how uh, these like arbitrary symbols how they correspond to collections of dots that like the the the, the chimp could match like three dots to like the Arabic symbol uh, a symbolic number three um, so and they also managed to observe that 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 it could also get some understanding and a notion of of zero like to link the empty space like no dots with the with the arabic symbol of zero jeez uh but then uh like some uh maybe two years ago or so there was like really um like controversial paper published in science 
um, showing that this kind of notion of zero can be also observed in honeybees, <laughs> right. which was uh, which was like very very uh, like a big. Uh, controversy in science or so like, like from philosophical perspective like from like mathematicians whether uh, who are arguing whether it's really like a notion of zero or not and the, the experiment was also very uh very clever and also very simple because actually bees are quite good in like distinguishing some visual patterns like dots or so and they are quite smart animals actually uh so uh there was one. There is one researcher, by the way, Lars Chitka, whose group trained bees to play football. So <laughs> <laughs> there are some YouTube videos on that. So well. so so bees are really smart, right? Uh, so bees are really smart, and and they trained them to kind of. There had they had a display with some like small shelves, right? Uh, and. These shelves were marked with different number of dots. Like there were like two shelves, one with like whatever four dots, and the other one with three dots. And then okay. there were some like um, small trays with a liquid next to these. And the bees learned that uh, uh, when they get to the like one with the smaller number of dots, then the liquid would be the one with like a glucose, the the, the ah. sweet one, the one they like. Yes. Uh, and the, the the larger one was like just a regular water. Yeah. And then it's like possible to to train a bee that that it selects the the display with like fewer uh, with the fewer number yes. of dots. And then what the researchers did, I'm uh, simplifying this design a little bit, but I think it should be enough to to, to get the the impression of what happens, mm-hmm. is that they they displayed like one one thing with whatever four dots and the other one with no dot at all Ah, and then you could you could think that okay on one hand if there isn't like nothing in the other one then the bee should be either confused or select the only one which has some dots yes yes because it's strange that there are like when there where there are dots there should be some some glucose around yeah yeah but it turned out that the bees were actually really selecting the one when there was no dots displayed. And this Jeez. was like really huge and, and, and big discussion in the, in the field, whether it's really showing that they have some, some notion of zero. And like, even though for like in the history of mathematics, the notion of zero or understanding that like nothing is like the beginning of continuum where then shows something, it was kind of revolutionary to understand it. But at the same time, if you, if you think of like your like natural life, let's say, Mm -hmm. then distinguishing between something and nothing seems to be really useful skill in the yes, end right yes jeez i mean my next question here christoph is these bees can they do negative numbers that'd be that'd be the next uh-huh. one come they? if they can get into that then i'll be i'll be very impressed the, the problem is christoph here is that like i'm nodding along to this bees thinking oh yeah they, they can do that but whenever i think about that just in isolation, that is amazing that bees can do this. It's just the fact that you're giving me so much good stuff here. We've had ants that are counting steps. We've had lions that are counting roars. 
male frogs, which have seem to have kind of sorted the dating game out here. This is this is incredible stuff. Um, any other animals? For you mentioned fish before. Don't be telling me fish can count here, Chris. Yeah. Well, actually, there like there is like really uh, lots of studies on fish because, again, like especially the very tiny ones, they are kind of sociable animals, and it's also with this like very small fish, like zebrafish and and others that uh, in natural world uh, their uh, survival depends on that they that they join the group. I sorry, I'm not a native speaker. I don't know the proper word for like the, the group of fish that I mean, they, they hang out together and i've i've no idea christoph either so we'll just go with gr- group sounds good to me i like that yeah maybe school of fish something i have no maybe. idea let's go group group let's go group group sounds uh, good to yeah me. so uh, but I, I assume that there is a, i know that there is a dedicated word but never mind let's let's maybe stick to group <laughs> <laughs> so uh so they really can learn that uh that they join like a bigger group and also, uh, there were some studies showing that they not only just whatever join the tank where they see like a group with like a bigger number of fish, but for instance, they had like a tank where they had two corridors, and these corridors were marked with different number of dots, and they were also mm-hmm. trained to select either more or less, and they knew that they would find some friends and con specifics like on the like following the. Uh, the corridor, which was like marked with like larger number or smaller number, and it was possible to train this fish to to to, to do this. So, it's jeez. Uh... And like when we're talking these these the fish and the the lions and the frogs and so on, are they like I could I could count? I mean, I I say I could believe it. I couldn't believe it, but I could kind of imagine a fish would look at a group that's got three fish in it and look at a group that's got 300 fish and see that there's more in the 300. But are we talking like, could, they couldn't distinguish if there's just kind of one or two difference, could they? Are, are they are they that kind of specific? Oh, yeah. This is very, this is actually very nice and very important topic that we can discuss in a, in a moment, but I just wanted to add like one thing which really astonishes me and this is really, uh, really amazing. So, uh, so uh, one uh, very famous researcher in numerical cognition, Professor Brian Butterworth from UCL, uh, he's also like he's like a famous dyscalculia researcher. But at the same time, he's now he now joined the group who is like investigating this arithmetic in fish. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, like they found several like kind of mathematical let's say or numerical skills that the fish can do but now what they are looking at and this is really uh kind of uh amazing and when he told it for the first time on the conference like half of the audience just started laughing uh, because he told that their new project is to look at arithmetic difficulties or like quote unquote dyscalculia in fish (laughs) which was like what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but like the ratio- rationale for this one is also relatively relatively uh, straightforward and also can potentially have huge benefits for our understanding of uh, like uh, our mathematical abilities in, in in humans in children and like informing actual dyscalculia because in fish they are like way simpler let's say organism. Yeah organisms than humans at the same time uh 
apparently with this like training where you train the fish to select larger number, smaller number, go to like this or there, uh, that tank to, to join the group, uh, you observe, probably as with humans and as with like most other animals, that some of them are quote unquote smarter and some of them are having more and more difficulties. They need yeah. like more training and so on. So they want to specifically look at the fish who are not very efficient in learning this. Yes. And with fish, it's also due to like lower complexity and also like the, let's say, uh, like you can do more invasive studies than with humans, let's say. Uh, so it's possible to, uh, due to this lower complexity, to kind of find some links between specific genes and specific like parts of their of their genetic code, which could be kind of linked to these problems with with uh, with uh, like learning this whatever number number discrim numerical discrimination or something like this, and of course, uh, like they. Now at, our, at they are now at very early stages of uh, of the of the research to, uh, to 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 understand these like numerical difficulties in fish, but it can potentially have some uh, some impact in like our understanding on why some uh, some individuals in other species have it get it easier to 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 like learn kind of like whatever dot comparisons and, and yes. stuff like that and some of them have have some problems with that that is unbelievable dyscalculia in fish we're, we're reaching new levels here christoph well t tell me about this then this this notion of how how precise the, the these these animals can, can count uh how yeah much can so, they distinguish yeah so this is uh this is kind of thing that uh also tells us about our uh, like similarities and uh, and uh, and differences between like us humans and, and 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 animals as regards like handling numbers i wouldn't say it's mathematics because there is like still huge debate in the literature mm -hmm. of how this like rudimentary things of being able to discriminate between like larger and smaller number of dots uh, how this really transfers to our arithmetic skill not even mentioning like algebra and so on it's yeah, it's yeah. still far from being resolved and i just want to want to really stress it that uh there are some theories showing that there is like a direct link but this but there are also several researchers who say that it's really not the same and you cannot mm. transfer like uh the differences in like whether you are good in distinguishing some some dots uh to whether you would be having your having hard time with like algebra trigonometry or probability yes. uh, but in general when it comes to this like let's say very simple ways of using numbers uh both humans and anim and several other species of animals have like two systems that work in a um, kind of independently of of each other. One is called subitizing, and subitizing is like uh, this is like the word subitizing is a neologism uh, coming from Latin subitus, which means sudden, and this is the process of getting this like effortless uh, and strong in 
expression about like numerosity of, of objects. So for instance, okay. if you enter the room and you see three coins lying on the table, you see that there are three coins. You don't need yes. to count them, one, two, three. You just see that there are three. And you can instantly distinguish it from two. Yes. Or from one. And you also don't need to kind of count or make any, let's say, like whatever intention, quote unquote, to reckon that there are three coins. You just see yes. them as three coins. And this is this system is very precise. You at least in case of humans, with like up to three objects, you almost make no errors. You are mm. hardly, it's hardly possible to confuse uh, two, two coins with three coins or yes. two coins with one coin. But when it comes like above three, it's getting more complicated and more effortless. Some yes. people claim that four still belongs to this subitizing range. That you that you also can this like this kind of effortlessly just reckon that it's like four coins, mm. but but some but it doesn't work so quickly and so effortlessly, and there is like a dispute between scientists whether whether four belongs to subitizing yes. range or not. About three, no one argues. Yeah, it's subitizing. Uh, of course, it doesn't uh, doesn't count or it doesn't work. Uh, you can extend this subitizing range if you have so-called canonical patterns. So, for instance, like if you have a dice pattern, you see six and you know that it's six because it's a pattern that you that you know very well. Or yes. five is also above subitizing range, but if it's like arranged this way, you just know the pattern and you know five. Yes, but if the if the dots on the dice were like scrambled, mm. then it wouldn't be so, so easy to distinguish, for instance, five from six. Yes, yes. And then above the uh, above this threshold for subitizing, there is uh, another system called approximate number system. And like just to to, to clarify, uh, the subitizing is also present in, in animals, so they are also much more precise with the very small numbers. Like right, they okay. need to distinguish some stuff and so on. And then we have this approximate number system, which as I uh, as the name suggests is just approximate. And this one is not governed or like the ability to, for instance, distinguish between two sets of dots uh, is dependent on the ratio between them. And this ratio is kind of relatively stable uh, uh, characteristic of a human, let's say. Okay. Uh, but it it gets refined with like uh, development and with like getting like older. Some people claim that it's also due to education. Some people would rather argue that it's just because of like like maturation of the of the nervous system and so on. But basically. With age, you get more and more precise in the sense that you can distinguish, you can tell where is more with kind of more difficult, let's say, ratios, like when the numbers are closer. But but this is, are we talking counting here, Christoph? But it's not, this is not counting. No, 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 it's this not counting. It's just estimation. It's just like estimation in a sense that I just show you like two, two sets of dots and I yes. ask you, tell me where is more. Interesting. Okay. And, I see. and this like ability to do it that you 
are getting like more and more correct. Uh, of course, the the, the uh, accuracy would increase with like the more the, the the largest the ratio is between the between the numbers. Yes. So like five to one, super easy. Two to yeah. one, super easy. But if if this like ratio is like closer to each other, then uh, then it's getting more uh, more difficult. And and with with this, sorry to interrupt you, Christoph. Does this in humans? Is it the older you get, the better at this you get with the approximate number system, or does it seem to be pretty stable? Uh, so, uh, like, in case of, like, children up to, let's say, whatever, like, maybe, like, 16 or so, then it would increase. Uh, but ah, but afterwards, in, like, adults, it's not that someone who is, like, 60 would be... Uh, would be better than someone who is 20. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say so. So it's, like... Kind of like things that just develop while whatever, like during maturation, and then they like roughly remain unchanged. Final question on the before I let you carry on. That I'm really sorry. Just before I forget to ask, is there any? Is there like a correlation between how good you are at these approximate number tasks and how good you are at the rest of mathematics, like non-number, like algebra bits and geometry, or is it? Does it seem to be pretty independent of like, mathematical achievement? Uh, I have a feeling that, uh, like, no matter what answer I can give now, uh, I would gain some uh, strong enemies in the field of numerical <laughs> cognition. So, <laughs> well, we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't is this, want is that. this like a is this an area of dispute then, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. A... So this is like really the big area of of dispute whether uh, whether it's like this or not, and. Uh, and uh, like the question seems to be super simple, right? But mm. on the other hand, this when you get into details, it gets terribly complicated because you have uh, when you have this dot comparison, when you compare dots, there are like uh, the things which differ between the two displays is not only the number, but also multiple visual features, like I guess eight yes. of them, if I remember correctly, which also vary. Ah, so just right. imagine that you have like all the dots are of the same size yep. and they are all black printed on the white sheet of paper. And yes. then I show you whatever, 16 versus 20 dots. Yep. And then like all the dots are of the same size. So yep. on the one with 20, in general, you have like more dots, so the number differs. But also, what differs is like the amount of black to, or like the ratio yes. of black to white ink on both cards. Yes. What also differs is like this is like the overall area, but you have kind of like also luminance then, like how much. Of course. Then you have also so called convex hull, which is like if you just like draw kind of like a circum circumference around the around the collection, it would be also bigger. Yes. And then and then this is the big problem also with this like studies with like approximate number system in humans, but also in the animal research that very often you actually find the that whatever if you have if there are like two piles of carrots the elephant would select the one which contains more carrots mm. but at the same time this pile would, would be also physically bigger right yes and then and on the other hand uh 
Like, at, and this makes sense, but you can you can think of, okay, yeah, but we can just make them like the smaller carrots. But what's the business for the elephant to select the, 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 the larger pile with smaller carrots, right? Yes, yes. Uh, so, so this is like a big confusion. And also with the like human studies with dot collection, dot collections and like recognizing like where is more, you cannot uh, like do it in a kind of pure way in a sense that nothing else changes but only the numbers if yes. you control for some uh, visual yes. features if you control for like overall number overall area colored area then uh, the dots would be smaller in the bigger set right because yes. to keep the the like, amount of ink you use to make more dots you need to make yeah. them smaller yeah. and and <sighs> So there are ideas on really how to uh, kind of equate it across all the stimuli you are using in your experiment, but you cannot do it at the level of like each single display that I show you. Yes. And then the thing comes that in some cases you have so-called congruent trials where like these visual features would kind of also support the like selection of the larger that for instance you have like more dots but they also the the, the area is larger the, the 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 luminance and stuff like that circumference is larger and so on and these are like so-called compatible trials hmm. and the incompatible ones would be where the visual features are kind of misguiding you that for instance okay. the overall area colored is smaller in the larger collection of dots oh, compared right. to the smaller one. And this requires some sort of so-called executive functions that you need to kind of like control the, 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 the different interference and kind yes. of things. And it seems that this ability to like really control the interference and so on, uh, it really affects the, 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 the accuracy of doing the task because you are kind of like really more, let's say, able to focus on the thing which is really relevant and yes. you are not getting misguided by other stuff. But then if you see that, okay, yeah, but it correlates with Mavsky. Yeah, true. But like being able to focus, to, 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 to handle like the interference and so on and focus on the things you are supposed to do, it's mm -hmm. like at the core of doing any cognitive task, let it yes. be arithmetics, let it be whatever, solving, yes. solving word puzzles and anything like that. So it's in that sense, really huge confound. And, uh, and therefore also there is like a really, really huge debate in numerical cognition, whether this is the, like the underlying feature of like human mathematical achievement or not. It's incredible, isn't it, Christoph? Because we seem to have, scientists have figured out how to see if ants are counting. And you'd think like, that would be the difficult thing. You'd think this, you know, figuring out whether humans can do the approximate number system and, and what mechanisms are involved and what relationship that has, that, that almost sounds simpler. But when you describe it like that, even just comparing two patterns of dots, it's very hard to isolate exactly what, yeah, what features the humans are paying attention to. That's that's fascinating. Yeah, and exactly. And here it's just like the geometry is acting against us, right? We, yes. it's it's like the, the the sort of limitation in like constructing this, this stimuli for such experiments is that like you cannot do it because simply the geometry is acting against yes. you. You cannot do it because of like 
very, very basic uh, principles of geometry that you cannot build such displays to, to, to have all these, all these properties controlled for at the same time. Jeez, that is that is incredible. Um, so it's, it's just so I've got this right. This approximate number system, it's the same in animals that they, if the ratios close together, they're going to struggle, and the numbers are big. That's where they they have difficulty comparing. But if the ratio is quite far apart, they're okay. Is is, is that about the bottom? Yeah, line? yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is like very uh, very accurate description. So I mean. The ratios that where they like start to be because like of course it's kind of you have a binary decision when you just select mm. like fifty percent and then and then you need to 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 build a specific like you need to have a specific number of trials you aggregate yes. it and then you see that okay from this ratio odd like the accuracy let's say passes the kind of threshold that we kind of agreed on that would indicate the the skill of a certain level, right? So it's, yes. it works this way. And of course, it seems that this, this uh, like threshold seems to be the, the thing which is kind of decisive. Uh, so for instance, like if uh, whatever an animal or a, a human and so on can compare, let's say, uh, effectively between... I don't know. Now I'm just like making the numbers up. Like between 18 dots and 20 dots, they would be also equally uh, good in comparing 180 and 200. So if the ratio is yes. kind of constant, then you would be able to like 18 and 20, 180 uh, and 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 200. And also like if you whatever multiply it by yes. something, you, it would still work. And this kind of principle seems to work in animals as well, that this ratio is kind of constant within uh, for different numerosities for a certain like animal. So like there is no like overall ratio that I would say that yes. like all the animals, like humans, ants, whatever, bees and so on can do it and the specific for the specific value, but for several animal spe species, you can you can estimate the, the the this this ratio of like ability to discriminate at certain uh, level. I see, and this again, it fascinates me. This approximate number system. I was a little bit aware of sub um, sub subsidizing, but I wasn't aware of well, not not as much as as I am now aware of this approximate number system. Just another question on this, Christoph. Can you um, can you develop this? So can can humans improve their approximate number system, or, or do do we think it's pretty much fixed? Uh, yeah, this is actually another great question, <laughs> and also there were some studies showing that it works. There were some studies even showing that uh, that this would lead to some increases in like arithmetic performance. Mm. But at the same time, there are also studies which show that it that who tried to that tried to replicate it and show that it really doesn't work. So this is right. kind of when this theory was developed, it was like really really beautiful. It was extremely compelling, right? That you have like mm. a kind of set of skills that that you see in animals. That it's like ANS, then like the the subitizing, then you see it in humans in whatever toddlers you can test for it with like specific methods that developmental psychology uh, kind of uses for like kind of checking what kids can like distinguish and so on. Yes. And then it was even more beautiful to, to build this theory that yeah, and then 
And this is the basis for your like arithmetic skill, mathematics, and, and whatever else. And now what we see is that, uh, that essentially uh, it's not so beautiful in a sense that it's not so compelling and there are really, really lots of question marks and really lots of such confounds on the way that, that, mm-hmm. that I told you, with, for instance, these visual features. And also, I don't know whether you already discussed with someone about number line estimation task and how this story also shows like all these potential confounds that you can uh, that you can get into and shows really how how complex it is. So there were studies showing that uh, like very simple task uh, called number line estimation. Uh, is like probing this like mental representation of like even symbolic numbers in kids that you had just like a line marked with zero on one side, 10 on the other side. And the task is to mark, okay, where would be seven Mm. or where would be five? Where would be three? Yeah. And it showed that basically uh, the mapping, especially in very small children, uh, was logarithmic. So basically the kids were like overestimating the, the distances between like zero and one, zero and one and two and so on. And then they were like squeezing together <laughs> numbers closer to eight and nine. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, uh, it was also shown that uh, like older children are doing it in a more linear fashion, that they would really keep the distances uh, roughly equal between numbers. And then it was that, oh yeah, and you can train it. And this this works pretty well. You can train it quite easily hmm. by just showing feedback. Okay, you showed that six is here. Yeah, but like in fact, it should be here. Mm-hmm. Okay, now show me eight here yeah okay yeah. yeah well it should be here and then like after such a training which takes maybe like half an hour you can you can like kids were really improving a lot and uh and then uh it was also like linked somehow to like numerical abilities that they were like improving in mathematics and stuff like that and also there was like a strong correlation between accuracy in this task linear mapping and their arithmetic abilities right okay and of course like beautiful right you have linear representation in your mind you develop from this like inborn logarithmic and it, it's it's so beautiful and so compelling and you can measure it with the, the, the number line and so on but sounds good i'm guessing a twist is coming in uh, yeah and then the twist was that some people were thinking that maybe it's a little bit too risky assumption that you can actually measure a mental representation by just asking people to draw lines on the paper. It's like, Mm. even from like a philosophical perspective, it's kind of huge leap between like a mental representation and the thing you just like directly depicted on the, on the piece of paper. Right. So uh, there were some like models and studies showing this like developmental change and so on. But then some people came up with idea that maybe it's just that kids learn to do the task and maybe we can make a small experiment Uh, i can ask you like how would you solve this task if i asked you to mark 77 on such a line that you have like zero 100 and you are to mark 77 what would Mm. you do i will 
Oh, are you asking me, yeah. Christoph? Yeah. Oh, it's way different. I like that. That was a cliffhanger. I like, I like that. So what would I do if I was marking on 77 from zero to 100? Um, so yeah, I would. Oh, good question. For, for that particular one, I'd be probably trying to find around about three quarters and just go a little bit, a little bit beyond it. Or maybe, or maybe I'd go up in tens, mark up the tens and get between 70 and 80, something like that, I think. Chris. Yeah, so exactly. You were using, like, you, were, you, you would not kind of, let's say, directly use your probably very linear mental representation that you, that you possess, but you would yes. just apply some, let's say, proportional strategies yeah. of using yeah. benchmarks. Yes, that's the, it, easy, that's the, it. the first stra strategy is, I think, the most natural one that you think, okay, like half would be here, then like a half of the half, and then probably yeah. a little bit more to the left, uh, to the right. Yeah. And, and this would probably bring you relatively a proper solution. And it seems that what happens to children is that with the time, with the development, with how they learn numbers, it doesn't necessarily need to be that their mental representation is getting like more accurate, linear or so, but they yeah. are just, they just start using such strategies ah, right. okay. that they are using these benchmarks. And like, it seems that the youngest children are just using zero as their only reference point, because like 10 seems to be like a bit too complicated for them. Yes, yes. Then when they grow a little bit older or those children who are kind of developing a little bit faster, they already consider 10. Mm. And the older children would start considering five and so on. Yes, yes. And then uh, I just want to make it clear that I don't, that I think this task is very useful and very handy because it conveys quite a lot of stuff because you need to do the, numerical proportion and you need to kind of transfer this numerical proportion into spatial proportion mm -hmm. and it seems that even very small kids like five-year-olds can do it and if you try to take a five-year-old and explain them the concept of numerical proportion and spatial proportion probably the kid would have really huge problems in understanding what you're talking about Yes. Like that yes. you need to transfer a numerical proportion that you calculated here into spatial proportion. And then based on this, you need to mark the, the, the response, right? The, the kid probably would have huge problems understanding that. Yes. But seems that in this task, they are actually doing it. Like not knowing wow. it, but they are actually like doing the task. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, it works. Jeez. And then... If you see that this is like ability to, to, to use the spatial proportions, like calculating numerical proportions and then transferring it to spatial proportions, that these kids also happen to like do better in arithmetics, then it's not so fascinating anymore to me. Yes, because you yes. basically just announced to the world that, wow, kids who are good in mathematics are good in mathematics. Yes, yes. Which is kind yes. of... Uh, like not not so compelling and and there is quite some strong evidence showing that it's mostly about this benchmarking because when they used slightly modified task uh, the one that I told you is called bounded number line because you have like bounds like upper and lower mm -hmm. and when they used a so-called unbounded number line uh, which uh, is uh, the, the the task where you have like beginning of the line 
and then like open end. Yeah. But just next to it, you can see the uh, the size of one unit. Okay. And there, the number of strategies you can use is really limited because you can mm. kind of only use sort of like summation. That's clever. Yeah. But you cannot do this proportional judgments because you have no like benchmark to, to, to calculate yes, it. Yes. And there, in case of this task, the correlation between like performance in this task uh, and arithmetic performance in general is much lower than in case of the bounded one when you can really do this this clever proportions. That's interesting. Jeez. Now, I'll tell you what would really impress me, Christoph, if an ant could do that task. You're not going to tell me that, right? That an ant can find 77 yeah, on a I, I don't know any like studies where they trained animals to like really do any sort of like number line estimations, but but what animals actually can do, and they do quite, uh, quite uh, well, and this was also considered as an evidence that uh, that they really have this like abstract notion of, of number is that they can integrate uh, events, let's say, <clears throat> based on like different modalities. So, for instance, you can you can train the the the, the, the rat or a pigeon or a corvid. Corvids are, by the way, very smart animals with like very uh, very well developed brains. Well, what animals that last one? Crystal? Uh, corvids, like crows. Uh... Oh, right. Okay. Oh, crap. Right. Okay. Flipping heck. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, my pronunciation is probably no, no. It's it's my lack of knowledge of animals. No, this like is this crows. Is... Uh, crows. Cor corvid. Corvid. Like the the the, the blackbirds, basically the the big ones. I've, le I've learned something. Perfect. Yep. Got it. Uh, so uh, so you can train such an animal to, for instance, like that that it would be rewarded. If it presses the like lever mm. after whatever like four events, and these events <laughs> could be, for instance, like four flashes, or of light of a like yeah. a, like a bulb flashes four times, or four rings of the bell, yeah, and it w works interchangeably that the animal nice. can, for instance, react if it sees like two flashes and it hears like two bells, two, two rings of the bell. And like this was used, this observation that the animals, like whatever, rats or pigeons or corvids can learn it quite easily, was kind of used as an argument that they can really learn this kind of abstract meaning of number in a sense that it's like for events. It's not like even related to like the specific flashes of light or specific yes. sounds, but really kind of abstract notion of event and that, that it works across these, that, that like the things that they would have in common was actually the number, right? So, so there were some, uh, um, some studies showing that the, the animals actually get this uh, like notion kind of, hmm, uh, let's say, uh, and can use it. And there is also like a nice distinction, I think, here with this animal research that like on one hand, you have the, uh, the, the, the studies where you train animals to do some such stuff, like whatever the, the, the thing with the numbers that I told you with like integrating different events and so on. And it shows that, okay, yeah, the animals have kind of brain capacity to, 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 to do such things that you can train them to do this or you can train 
whatever beast to play football or, or anything like that. I really recommend that you just uh, just Google for it. There are really awesome YouTube videos on, on beast playing football. <laughs> Bumblebees to be uh, to be precise. Um, so this is like one one line of evidence that 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 we can uh, think that like using let's say numbers in this research can be helpful. But the other thing is that like several such stuff like the frog thing or the or the lioness or the ants. This is kind of like use of numbers which occurs in uh, in animals which have not been trained at all. It's something that like just happens in the nature and. This is something that I find extremely fascinating. Jeez, this is once again absolutely blown my mind. This I'd say I was worried for one minute you when you were saying integrate. I was worried that these uh, these frogs and stuff could integrate polynomials and stuff. They're not quite no, at no, this no. stage, are they? No, no, we're not there. Just maybe, maybe next time you're on, Christoph, you'll tell us. Uh, you'll tell us about that. Well, we've we've done ants, lions, frogs, chimps, bees, fish with dyscalculia. We've we've done we've done it all. Is, is there anything else you want to share with us before before we wrap up, Christoph, from from your uh, fascinating reading? Uh yeah. Well, there is also one. Uh, <laughs> I thought there might be <laughs> one animal that that also there were several studies on that. Also, kind of like how numerical information guides mating behavior in uh, in the uh, one of like uh, animals of like uh, beetles, the one that is living in like. Uh, kind of places where, where people store uh, like crops, wheat, and so on. All right, okay. And uh, there were some studies showing like the, uh, let's say, situate, like how these uh, like males of these of these uh, species, it's in Latin, it's called Telebrio molitor, if I remember that correctly, uh, how they would like behave so to say depending on like numerical let's say information and they were using <laughs> the mating strategies or mating behaviors so like one one study was that the uh, that the beetle was kind of able to visit like two chambers or like two like enclosures uh, which like differed in like number of like olfactory traces of females that were present in the room. So they kind of managed to uh, like equate the overall intensity of the like the smelling agent, let's say, but in one case it depended on it in one case it was like coming from like one female and in the other from uh, more than from more than like two or three or four females. Yeah. And this uh, like uh, this beetle was really able to uh, and was preferring systematically preferring the, the 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 chamber which contained like olfactory traces of more females. So Jeez. so it seems that like this numerical information is really kind of like numerical or quantity or mm -hmm. but it's not strictly quantity in a sense that the, the the overall intensity of the of the stimulus was equated and this only differed in like kind of numbers of like let's say donors of the of the of the yes. of the smell so jeez i'll tell you what chris i'm gonna be looking at animals very differently now as i'm wandering around and i'm also i'm i've got a two-year-old son 
I'm a bit annoyed at him that he's, he seems to be falling behind the ants, the lions and the frogs of this world in terms of his counting and stuff. So he, he needs to up his game, if, if anything. Well, Christoph, this has been another absolutely fascinating conversation. We'll have to talk again because every time we speak, you blow my mind with, with something new. And this is just this has been no exception at all. So, uh, Christoph, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. It was really a great pleasure to <laughs> share some thoughts on that. Thanks so much. So there you have it. There was my conversation with Christoph Kipora. Once again, apologies for my uh, weird sounding voice in this takeaway. I'll, I'll keep this relatively brief. Um, I absolutely love talking to Christoph. He's a lovely bloke. Um, he's great to chat to. And, and his areas of interest are absolutely fascinating. They're not like anything I've ever heard before. Um, so two very brief uh, reflections in this takeaway. The first is just how fascinating is research, right? Like how kind of all encompassing is it? I mean, we've heard on this 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 research and action series, research into maths anxiety. We're going to be talking about executive function, and here we're talking about um, the animal kingdom and the the numerical abilities of its inhabitants. It's absolutely incredible. But you know, the thing that fascinates me more than anything is the cleverness of designing these experiments. So, if you've got a theory that you know fish can count or owls can, owls can count or whatever. How do you design that experiment to capture that? And I find that absolutely fascinating. That, that for me is where the skill is in that experimental design to isolate the thing that you want to isolate to make it the findings as, as reliable as possible. I found that absolutely fascinating. Um, and the second thing I wanted to reflect upon in this very short takeaway is as I alluded to in the introduction, I think this would be quite an interesting conversation or kind of highlights of it to share with your students. Um, Often we get asked that, that question, we get it all the time, when will I ever use this in real life, uh, what's the point in doing this, and so on and so forth. And my kind of go-to answer for that is to think about jobs and careers that use it, use maths and so on. But here's a, here's, here's a really fascinating way that mathematics is used. It's, it's educational research, but in, in ways that I think will really capture the imagination of students, uh, particularly if they're animal lovers, uh, to, to think about... The, you know, the fascinating abilities of these animals and how we can measure those and how maths plays a role in that and also kind of psychology, statistical analysis, experimental design and so on. Um, it just, just offers a, a different insight than certainly I've provided in the past to my students of, of how maths is used in the real world. So maybe taking a little audio snippet of this conversation, uh, perhaps choosing your favourite animal and listening to, to how they count might be something that just, just might provide a little bit of a hook to, to students and start them seeing mathematics uh, in a new light. Anyway, before my voice goes again, I best wrap things up. So all that remains for me to do is to thank Christoph for being an absolutely fascinating guest. Uh, if we complete the trilogy and come back for Research and Action Season 3, I hope Christoph will uh, will join us again there. Uh, thank you to Colin Foster for helping uh, put this series together, uh, to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music you've heard throughout the show, uh, and to you, my lovely loyal listeners, for keeping on tuning in. You take care, and bye for now. <laughs>